Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends, wherever in the world you are. Thank you so much for tuning in today. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you. If you suffer from insomnia and you're listening to this tonight, I see you, I'm with you. It is just another beautiful day to bring on an amazing guest, Carol Ann, who is joining us from the UK. She has started her own support group, helping people all over the UK so that they are not floundering alone. They are newly diagnosed and they have questions. And why not look to those of us who've kind of been through a lot of these experiences? And by sharing our own experiences with breast cancer, we are paving the way in helping support those who come behind us. Carol Ann speaks to us today, not only about her diagnosis with triple negative breast cancer, but also her discovery of her genetic mutation of PALB2. So we're going to dive into today's series and get started. But before we do that, let me just give some quick shout outs to some resources In the event that you do not receive our weekly Monday newsletter, please head over to survivingbreastcancer.org to subscribe. We have all of our weekly events at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where you can join our Thursday Night Thrivers group, our Movement Monday classes. We offer Zumba, breathwork, meditation, expressive writing classes, art therapy classes. We have support groups specifically for those living with metastatic disease, as well as inflammatory breast cancer. Gosh, it's all right there for you. So head on over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. Additionally, if you're already not following us on social media, you need to. That's where we post a lot of daily and weekly updates on what's going on in our community. So follow us on Instagram. Our handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word. And you can follow us on Twitter at SBC underscore ORG. So now that we're all friends here on the podcast and on social media, let's get started. Welcome to today's conversation. My name's Callan and um, I had triple negative breast cancer in 2015. Uh, I was 51 at the time. And from there, I felt that the support wasn't out there for ladies in the UK very much. Um, It was very um, USA based, which is fine, but our treatment is slightly different in so much as you have access to so many many different things and we get virtually told what we're having and what we're doing um there's not much leeway because obviously all our treatment is free i set up a support group uh triple negative warriors uk that has gone from strength to strength we started out with 30 30 ladies in the group. Um, We now have well over a 1,000 with at least that many having um, left, uh, which is always a good thing. I I love it when they leave. It means that they're now equipped with the tools to go out and live their life. So really taking your own personal experience and seeing a gap in service and support and going out and creating it. I love that. That's so empowering. Where in the UK are you based? Ireland, Scotland, Wales, uh, and obviously England. Um, I personally am based uh, East London, Essex borders. We have a lot of Welsh ladies in the group. When you're first diagnosed, it's almost like becoming a first-time parent. You get lots, given lots of advice. Um, There's so many methods, plenty of people telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, 
and you get a little bit bogged down with it. But I, I just want to make sure that everyone realises it's okay not to know everything. It's a really steep learning curve. Um, and everybody's still learning. There's always new trials, new treatments coming out. So there's not one person out there that knows it all. Um, and I, I think when you're first diagnosed, you get in such a panic. It, it's a whole new experience. You're learning a whole new language um, and you flounder. And that's where I want to come in. I want to help those ladies that are floundering who need the love and who need the support. So tell me about some of the resources that your support group does offer. We do meet up in different areas, like all the Welsh ladies meet up, all the London ladies have met up and the Essex ladies have met up. But once a year, we do a big meet up, uh, a place, um, an all-inclusive resort here in England and anybody's welcome and it just makes such a difference being able to meet up face to face it does um, yeah you you make lifetime uh, lifelong friends you really do yeah I found that as well it's like immediately like you have this bond because you've been diagnosed with something that's you know traumatic life-threatening you have to navigate it so you know I feel like I have similar like thousands of my breast cancer friends out there who are all my BFFs and just get it. And so if I'm having a hot flash, even during this podcast recording, like I know you'll understand because hot flashes are one of the side effects that we go through or (laughs) anything like that. I remember going out to dinner with a couple of ladies when we were meeting for the first time. And it was just so amazing to bounce back from you know, chemotherapy conversations to injections to all of the terrible side effects to, oh, by the way, like, how are your boys doing? Are they off to college right now? Or what are you doing for holiday? Oh, and by the way, yeah, I have like really bad, like, you know, GI issues and just bouncing back and forth between these conversations, (laughs) which are so interesting because when I'm talking with my non-breast cancer friends, so to speak, um, you know, they're curious, they want to know about my treatment, they want to know what I'm going through and how my health is. But then I feel like that almost brings the conversation as a downer. And they don't always want to hear it. They sometimes pose a question because it, it, it's felt like they should. Mm-hmm. But then they, you can see it glaze over their eyes after a while. Um, so yeah, and, and you did touch on something there about your hot flushes and, and such like. Is that down to the medication you have? Great question. Exactly. So unlike triple negative, I'm uh, triple positive. And so I'm on hormonal therapies that throw me into uh, menopause immediately. And so I just have all of the side effects of menopause with, you know, weight gain, lower metabolism, hot flashes, moodiness, you know, you name it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's where triple negative differs. Um, TN it isn't predictable and it has no rhyme or reason to it. Um, mm-hmm. Not even an expert oncologist can forecast the outcome for any lady. We, we've had ladies who have been diagnosed as stage one and they later go on and lose their life and ladies who are stage three and are still here with us many years on. It isn't likely to respond to hormonal therapies and it isn't a singular disease. It's an umbrella term, really. It basically means we just have no idea what it is at the moment or what's feeding it or how to treat it. Can you tell me a little bit about how you found out you were diagnosed with breast cancer? You said you were 51 years old at the time. 
Yeah, I I, um, I was in bed reading one night and my hair flopped down on, on me and was signaling me. So I, I went to brush my hair away and I found this enormous lump and I thought, oh, what was that? And it really, really hurt, which totally contradicts everything that I was brought up to to know. I was always told that breast cancer doesn't hurt and it's a pea-sized lump and this wasn't it was huge and it really hurt so um I did go to doctors which was rather unusual for me and even he felt it and said no no it's not cancer just put your mind at rest it's not cancer because it moves um however I will send you for your mammograms because in the UK mammograms start at age 50 so um it was from there that I discovered it I, I went to see um the consultant and he said I think we need to get you um, a mammogram so I had my mammogram she said straight away I think we need to get you an ultrasound so I went and sat in the ultrasound room um, and everybody was in and out within 10 minutes then it was my turn and I was in there for about three quarters of an hour and, and that's when I realized myself that it was breast cancer and then he turned around and he said I think we need to get you an ultrasound uh, a biopsy so I had that done. Um, then I was told, yes, it is definitely cancer, but it wasn't until the bio- biopsy results came back that um, I, re- I was told that it was uh, triple negative. And I thought it was a good thing. I thought, oh, it's a negative thing. Okay, that, that's good. That's good. And it was only when I went home and researched it that did I realise that it can be um, really rather aggressive. I went and I shaved my my well cut my hair off and then shaved it ready for the little princess trust. Um, started making my funeral plans in my head, and yet here I am. Um, so it's not all sort of uh, doom and gloom. There's lots and lots and lots of hope on the horizon. So I, just, I do want to say that. Do you know what stage you were when you were diagnosed? Uh, so I was stage three. Stage three. Okay. So yeah, I had. Um, FEC, um, I can't remember the terms of them now, what their real names are, but FEC. Um, and then I had 23 sessions of radiotherapy, I think it was, which was uh, a bit of a killer, the radiotherapy. People say it's fine compared to the chemo. And it is, it is. But the going every day and the burning and, oh, yeah, I don't know if you want to add that bit I in case I scared well. something. <laughs> Yes. So even though I'm not triple negative, I ended up having the chemotherapy first before surgery as well, which I know is typically a common practice. Is is that what you had also? You had chemo first I before the, surgery? No, I had the lumpectomy first. Oh, okay. Um, and then the chemotherapy. Um, in hindsight, I would have, if I'd known then what I know now, I would have asked for uh, the chemotherapy first first because only by having the chemotherapy first do you realize if it's working or not and do you need to change your chemotherapy but um yeah no I had a lumpectomy first and it seems here in the UK that it's pretty much down to the different oncologists what you have first they say it's dependent on the stage the size but it doesn't seem that way yeah, there's so many factors. And, you know, even in the US, I feel like we hear that too, where, you know, we lead a Thursday Night Thrivers support group online. And 
you know, everyone's story is so different. Like once you think you understand how the rubric works or how decisions are being made, there's either a new trial that comes out or new studies that come out. And, you know, it's so many factors that play into those decisions. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can't even comment it comment on it anymore because you know it does change and i think you are right like it might be depend on the oncologist what they think is the best course of action and um, for so many of us we want to do surgery first because we just want the chemo th- or we just want the tumor out of us like put me in now take it out of my body again depending on the stage and phase and everything too i wasn't a candidate for some of those tests i don't know if they have them in the uk where you can get like an oncotype score or like a some sort of score to see if you are a candidate for or not for chemotherapy. But because I was a later stage as well, I was getting chemotherapy regardless. So it didn't matter. Yeah, I think that that happens with triple negative, that you do you you do have chemotherapy regardless of the regardless. stage. Although just recently I have noticed a slight trend in that not happening. But when I was diagnosed as soon as they learned you was triple negative, it was chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. There was um, no questions, no debate. You're having chemotherapy. I don't know about you, but when I was diagnosed, I thought breast cancer was breast cancer. I didn't realise that there were so many different types. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit mind blowing at the time. I just thought, that's it, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So how are you doing now? I was under my oncologist for five years and now I've been sort of let loose Although I do have the option of phoning them up any time, um, especially seeing, and you probably won't want to talk about this, but I underwent genetic testing um, about two years after my diagnosis, and I found out I had PALB2, oh, which is um, yes. partner and lo- localizer of BRCA2. I now have a yearly mammogram and a yearly ultrasound, and they're sort of spread six months apart. So although I've been discharged from the oncologist I'm still under the umbrella mm-hmm. um which is very comforting it is. very comforting Absolutely. indeed that's where a lot of ladies flounder um when they're discharged mm-hmm. and some discharged so early that it, it's like um you just set loose on on a boat in wild seas and you you just don't know what to do and where to turn so I'm very, I, I'm very lucky that I'm still under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, that's similar also in the U.S. after so many years. They kind of like push you off a cliff, so to speak. It's like, all right, you're good. Call me if you have any problems. And after being so carefully watched, it is a little disconcerting to be like, are you sure? Like, no one's going to check on me. So, you know, I absolutely understand that feeling. And I think that's part of the support we both of our organizations want to provide, right? What you're doing with the Facebook group and what we're doing at Surviving Breast Cancer is really being that like passing of the torch, like when they leave their oncology department, um, that there is this community of people that can help support them. Um, You know, not necessarily with medical advice, but at least with comfort and support and empowerment, you know, if someone feels that something is wrong and, you know, they're not sure if they should call their doctors or not. Yeah, we in, in our group, we are very much, you advocate for yourself because nobody else will. Exactly. Um, if you've got an issue and you feel it needs to be addressed, you know your 
body better than anybody else and you push and you push and you push until somebody takes you seriously. Without an army of women behind them, a lot of ladies wouldn't push. I'm a big fan of like making these vision boards and I have like different mantras and everything up on my on my board. And one of them is like, it says, you only have one body to live in, so you better love it. Uh, our body is just our vessel. Mm. Um, yes, we need to look after it, but we mustn't worry about our lumps and our bumps and our scars. Um, if we've got misshapen breasts, that, that's all part of our story and that's who's, that's what's made us who we are today. How is the conversation with your daughter when um, – you let her know that you had breast cancer and went through the genetic testing? Um, well, when I first, I've got four children. When I first told them, I told them all together. Um, okay. And their reactions were all very, very different. Um, my can oldest I, can daughter I ask how old was, they were at the time? Um, oh, now I've got to work that out. So <laughs> Roughly, approximately. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, three. Um, three of them were in their 30s okay and one was about 14 okay um yeah I had a big age gap obviously no problem <laughs> um yeah and their, their reactions were totally different um and I think I cried the most telling them and then obviously with the power b2 diagnosis it was a very difficult conversation because you had the guilt. Um, have I passed this on to my children? Um, and I, I cried. I cried so much when my, my eldest son is fine. My eldest daughter and my youngest son have got the gene. And my youngest daughter has chosen not to have the test at the moment. But the, the guilt was immense. Um, even though logically, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty. You didn't do it to them on purpose. Exactly. But the guilt, oh, that was, that was hard. Um, when I found out I had power B2, it was nothing to me. But when I found out my daughter did, I, I was with her when she found out. And I sat there and I cried and cried and cried. Um, and and I spoke to my husband at the time and said to him, like, she didn't get upset. And he said, well, did you? when you found out and I said no I didn't and that sort of mm. yeah I, I realize it, it's it's how you feel about your children more than how you feel about the diagnosis which is uh yeah that that was empowering as well yes. knowing why I broke down so much but yeah you want to do everything you can to protect them and yeah absolutely we did um a, a podcast and I'll share it with you as well we had a panel of moms on the call talking about that guilt you were describing, um, you know, the probability of passing on the genes to their children. And then we brought the children on, uh, adult children, to talk about their experience as well. I'll share that with you because it was quite powerful. Um, and, you know, I think there's, you know, that mother motherly love where you want to do everything in your power to protect your offspring. Yeah. And yeah, to your point, definitely. there's no fault, you know, and and when I speak with genetic counselors as well, they remind me, like, Laura, everyone has, you know, the PELB2 gene. Everyone has the BRCA gene, you know? So it's not that all of a sudden we are rogue and have something. It's just that ours are a little bit different. And, you know, there's 
there's things that we can do preventatively, like you were mentioning with the high risk screenings and going every six months um, to really prevent and have early detection as necessary. So, you know, I think there's a lot of positive outcomes that come from this knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it came as quite a shock to me having discovered it because I never knew my paternal father. Well, of course Mm. he was my father if he was paternal, but I never, I never knew him. Um, And he he was dead by the time I'd realized any of this so mm. I can't even go to him and ask questions and most of his family have long gone as well mm-hmm. so it, it was came as quite a shock to me really um yeah, yeah and then obviously as we said to know that you might pass that on to your children it's just well not good it's hard and you know I think you bring up a really good point too of like knowing your family history knowing your relatives being able to have these conversations with them um my my um dad is one of like four boys and when i again talking to the geneticist it was like oh there's no family history on the dad's side or anything like that and they're like well they actually don't have any daughters like i actually don't know if there would have been a genetic mutation because of just the makeup of the males on that side of the family right so i think there's again a lot of factors that play into whether or not there's a family history um that can be traced because if there's no no daughters like you might not know it might skip generations etc yeah and i did have to really push for my genetic testing um and eventually they did test me for BRCA, mm-hmm. um and obviously i was negative for that and but my geneticist uh, dr lucy side she was um she just kept looking at me and saying you're not you've not got BRCA, but why don't i want to discharge you um, and I was just sat there shrugging and I, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, look, here's my email address. If you ever need anything, get in touch. Well, it was about a year later. Um, I read about Pal B2. So I did contact her and say, I said, I've just read about Pal B2 and I'm wondering if I can be tested for that. And it was so coincidental. She replied more or less straight away. And she said, you know, I've just come out of a meeting where we have just decided to test for that. Wow. Um, and she said, yes, of course I can. And then I completely forgot about it. Um, and it was about three months later, uh, she rang me and said, can you come in? I've got your Power B2 results back. And it was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's how I, I discovered. Um, and if I hadn't read about the article, I may never have known. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was very coincidental and it was meant to be, I think. Exactly. And how are your kids doing now? How's your daughter? My daughter was, um, she had got two children at the time and they asked her if she wanted any more um, and she was undecided then. But they said, you know, you can have egg selection where you choose the eggs that haven't got the gene um, mutation. But she decided not to go for that. So that's interesting that, you know, women now have the option of that egg selection to decide whether or not they can find the eggs that have the mutation or not. So that's that raises a whole bunch of questions and I would say even ethical discussion around that. And the thought that if people did that, that we could get rid of all these mutations over time. Living in a world where we can find the cure for not just breast cancer, but all cancers and rid ourselves of these genetic mutations that cause these hideous diseases. I'm all for that. 
Kellyanne, it was such a pleasure having you on today's podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the amazing support and resources you provide in the UK for these amazing women who are, to use your words, floundering. They are recently diagnosed and looking for support and other women who just get it. So thank you again for being on today's podcast, letting us know about your personal story, talking about TNBC as well as the PEL mutation. And until next time, keep on thriving. And thank you very much for having me. And thank you all for listening and tuning in week after week here on Breast Cancer Conversations. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice. If you want to hang out again, please check out survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, where you can RSVP to our Thursday Night Thrivers weekly meetup, our Movement Monday classes, workshops, seminars, and so much more. We can also continue the dialogue online via social media. Our Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and you can follow us on Twitter at SBC underscore ORG. Until next time, keep on thriving.